The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! I just want to bang on the drum all day. I don't know why I rubbed my nipples when I was saying that. It's really weird. Why did I do that? Uh, welcome to the Third Men Podcast. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Paul Kabinsky. And I don't want to work. I just want to bang on the drum all day. I like to bang on the drums. I'm your other co-host, James Kabinsky. <laughs> Sick retort. <laughs> That's the one I'm trying to think of. Uh, it's the way that you bong the bongo. the bongos. It's the way that you bang the big bass bass drum. This is a really, really narrow reference. Deep cut into McCartney MPL animations. Oh, God. So, this is our Jack White History Podcast. We talk about all things Jack White, except when we don't. Sorry about last episode. This is a. We're going to do a spotlight here on Jack White as a drummer. Uh, because Jack White has a very rich history with percussion, James, wouldn't you say? I would say, and that's how he started out, and uh, that's how he uh, he continues to live his life as a drummer in the dead weather. Yes, indeedy. And before we get to that, you know, normally we do a stop breaking down segment mm. where we get something wrong and we fix it, or we do a I think I smell a fact where we uh, elaborate on a topic that we covered in a prior episode. This week we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do a little bit of an apology, and it's called Annoying as Hell, in fact. We're sorry. All those same little things that you do are annoying. Uh, so, They're annoying as hell, in fact. 
<laughs> so, hey, new listeners, welcome to the show. Sorry we did a whole Smash Mouth episode last week. <laughs> um, we thought it was really funny. Uh, as it turns April out... April Fool's! Yay! As it turns out, doing an April Fool's joke not on April Fool's is a little weird. <laughs> but, hey, you know, uh, what, what is this, the Ritz? You know? Yeah, it's the Ritz. It's a it's a it's a audio hotel that you could stay in, and um, yeah, live <laughs> anyway. in for a little while. But uh, yeah, well, truth be told, we we have yet to see the reception to that episode currently because we're recording this the day before it comes out. So uh, drum roll, please. Uh, so Paul, there's a fifty fifty shot that people loved it and they're clamoring for more. They got yeah. their Harwell hard-ons. <laughs> I think this it's safe to say, James, that this is the Schrodinger's cat of podcast reactions that we right. have right now. It could be anything at, at right. this point. It could be yeah, anything. It's, uh, it is both positive and negative. Schrodinger's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we're going to go ahead and assume that some of you hated it. So sorry about that. We'll not do it again, maybe? Or maybe, maybe. we will. We are the bad boys of podcasting. <laughs> that's exactly what we are, Paul. And that's been... You're annoying, annoying as hell, in fact. <laughs> Kind of right. struck a little bell in fact. Yeah, um, I like to keep my little shell intact. So this week we are going to be talking about Jack White as a drummer, um, how he started out, the different projects he's been associated with. Uh, we did some pretty cool research here. And James, I actually compiled a list of all of Jack White's drumming credits as a third man recording artist and beyond. So we, we'll go through those and we'll talk a little bit about those. Awesome. You're, you're beginning to, to drum up my support. Yeah, I'm really basing this off of things you enjoy. Um, You're being caught in my snare of fun. <laughs> the symbolism is very good. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was very good. Um, Am I getting under your skin? You're really sticking it right. Um, but we're going to start out here, James, with how Jack White started out on drums. Start, 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 start. Out, 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 out. <laughs> I think it's fair to say we learned a lot about Jack White through the movie It Might Get Loud. Would, would, that, would that be fair to say? That would be fair to say, uh, yeah. That was our first real dive into his backstory, us personally. Us personally, right? I know a lot of people were, the candy cane children out there were very versed. Uh, however, we were not. And It Might Get Loud was an, an illuminating experience, I know, for me, because it came out... Right in that transition, sort of after the tours, but before the dead weather, and the White Stripes were still a thing, and so we hadn't seen Jack White as a drummer yet, so really my first knowledge, I think, about Jack White as a drummer came from It Might Get Loud. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. You know, it might it might seem sometimes that that we're the most knowledgeable people out there on Jack White, but we were late to the game. We were super late to the game. I mean, this will this will come up later in the show because I found a fact here that I was like, whoa, why didn't I know that? You know, and it's just because 
this show, I think, has helped a lot. Yeah. Anyway, uh, as detailed in It Might Get Loud, Jack initially wasn't very interested in the guitar at all. We talked a little bit about this during our Flat Duo Jets episode, but he was more interested in the drums. His quote from the movie was that everybody played guitar. So the drums were the thing that initially attracted him. Jack, what was your style? How did you start to sing? Like, what came first for you? Playing music, writing songs, singing? Playing the drums came first for me, and then uh, I needed something to play the drums to. You know, I had a little four-track reel-to-reel in my bedroom, and you know, so I started to teach myself how to play guitar so I could play along with something. Me and another friend I went to high school with, his name's Dominic Suchita, and we had... Uh, uh, sort of, he liked music, you know, rock and roll and all that too. So we started learning things together, and he was playing bass and stuff. So we started doing these little recordings and covering Bob Dylan songs on on record and whatever, you know, I don't know whatever we were doing. And uh, so it kind of built up from there. And then I started to get into this band, uh, the Flat Duo Jets, when I was a teenager. And I worked at this upholstery shop. Uh, I was apprenticed for this man named Brian Muldoon. And uh, after we were done at work, he played drums, you know. So after we were done for the day, we would set up the drums and the guitar, and we would play uh, songs. And we were really into this two-piece band called the Flat Duo Jets, who were doing lots of uh, kind of rockabilly and punk sort of music, but also throwing in these really gorgeous ballads, you know, from the '40s, you know, thing, or things that Patti Page and and people had 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 sung. And so I started to get ex- more and more exposed to those kind of chord changes. I think. <laughs> drum kits to start. He had them set up in his bedroom. The guitar amp and a reel-to-reel also in there. As we talked about with no bed, he slept on a piece of foam on an angle by the door. There was a lot of ingenuity going on there. You know, it seems like he was, even from a very early age, you know, he was interested in making things and sort of being off the beaten path with stuff. And so it's kind of an example. Not, not many kids would take out a bed in their room and just sort of replace it with <laughs> drum kits and a guitar amp, you know? Yeah. He was exemplifying the little room philosophy even then. Exactly, yeah. So some of the stuff from that era, he still uses to this day, in fact. Really? Um, there, yeah, there's a, uh, a Pisces signature Fast Crash 16 symbol, which he talks about being his favorite symbol, and was one that he had saved up his money to buy and got from a store called Wonderland Music in Dearborn, Michigan, when he was a kid. This is my favorite symbol of all time, uh... The Pisces Signature Fast Crash 16. I saved up all my money when I was a teenager for this and rode my bike to Wonderland Music in Dearborn and bought this symbol. Still my favorite symbol. And he still uses that. That's on his Dead Weather kit. I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So I normally don't do this, but I borrowed a little bit from that unauthorized biography here when I was doing some research. You know, obviously Jack has disavowed that Empire of the Blues or whatever unauthorized biography, but I found some cool stuff in it and it seemed decently researched yeah i find if i ever pull from it i double check the research or if i see a name that he pulled it from an interview or something i look up the actual interview that that guy pulled it from so well full disclosure james is way more thorough than i so take this with (laughs) a grain of salt but in that unauthorized biography i'm just going to read a couple segments here from it um gold dollar founder neil yee's earliest memories of jack consisted of him coming in and playing drums at the gold dollar at open mic night and um, hmm. apparently he was, quote, really good. Yeah. I mean, that's a good quote. It's a good full <laughs> quote. 
<laughs> they really uh, they really got the copy team in on that one. They're like, <laughs> what yeah. can you su- sum I, it up in two words? Go, really? Uh, good, good. Exactly, good. Nailed it, ye. Well done. Um, but, you know, I, it sounds like he was somewhat of a prodigy on the instrument. He had already learned to play with his brothers on a drum kit found in the attic when he was about five in most tellings, 11 in some. So it's unclear of when he actually got, came into his first drum kit, but evidently he found one in the attic. Yeah, his family his was drum- musical for sure. All of his brothers and sisters played in bands, so makes sense right. that there would be a drum kit in the attic. It wasn't like some ghost placed it there. <laughs> <laughs> he was walking with it though. Uh, but he didn't he didn't Robert Johnson it. He, like he didn't sell his soul to yeah. the devil at age 5 and find a drum yeah. kit magically in the corner. His early drumming idols included jazz extrovert Gene Krupa, who we know our dad is a big fan of. So look, we've got something in common. <laughs> Apparently, Jack also looked up to Stuart Copeland for the police. from Deep Purple. Um, So we're going to fast forward a little bit here and we're going to hit a little thing we like to call the Goober and the Peas era, James. I would love to hit that era up, Paul. (laughs) So I think it's safe to say we're going to try and do more with this group because I would love to know even more about Goober and the Peas, but I'm going to keep it sort of mostly limited to Jack's involvement as a drummer. I will say I reached out to their former, what I think is to be their former management and have not heard back. So hopefully we will hear back from them in the semi near future. Awesome. Uh, The band consisted of Goober, that is the alias of Dan John Miller, who eventually formed two-star tabernacle and blanche oh blanche yeah that's the one with little jack lawrence i had no idea there was a connection between goober and the peas two-star tabernacle and blanche little jack lawrence david feeney i feel like i've seen him around mm-hmm. in other things lisa jaybird Jannon, tracy may miller and dan john miller uh, yeah. and occasionally brian patch boyle on banjo and auto harp anyway oh, there you go yeah so anyway, some familiar faces in there, but that was a really interesting thing for me. I didn't know Goober was involved like that. They all sort of had nicknames in the mm-hmm. band, kind of like the Traveling Wilburys. There's Goober, there's Junior, who uh, was portrayed by Tom Hendrickson Jr. Mm. Shorty, as portrayed by Jim Curie. I think it's Curie. C-U-R-R-I-E. Sure. Uh, there was... Yes, there was Boss Hoss by uh, the the late the late Mike Miller or Dan John's brother, and then there was Doc, who was portrayed originally by Damian Lang. Yeah. Hey, 
uh, I'm just going to read a little bit of their bio, the band's bio, via their management at Detroit Municipal Recordings. Semi-country punk band Goober and the Peas from Detroit was known for blending odd humor and garage rock to the darker side of country music, as well as for the band's frenetic live shows. The Austin Chronicle called them, quote, some seriously sick individuals, and quite possibly <laughs> and quite possibly the most exciting live act in America, end quote, after their performance at South by Southwest in 1993. I had no idea that festival even went back that, that yeah, that's, far. Yeah, that's definitely way earlier than I assumed. And weird that Goober and the Peas played there. I know, right? The band recorded a five-song vinyl EP on Detroit's Fortune Records in 1989, then two acclaimed full-length albums, the first of which, quote, The Complete Works of Goober and the Peas, quote, from 1992, was recorded at the legendary Fort Apache Studios in Boston, who, uh, other people who recorded there, the Pixies, Dinosaur Jr., and Throwing Muses. I don't know who Throwing Muses is, but I like those other two. Their second album, The Jet Age Genius of Goober and the Peas, was recorded with David Feeney at the Temper Mill in Detroit. Detroit. Hmm. The band toured extensively with bands such as Morphine and Uncle Tupelo, headlining the Transmusicales Festival in France, where they appeared on a French television show with Link Ray. Oh, wow. Uh, Link, Link Ray, we know, uh, and influenced both Jack White and Olivia Jean. Yeah, a surf rock pioneer. Labeled, quote, alt-country pioneers, end quote, by CMJ, the band opened for bands such as Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, nice. the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Screamin' Jay Hawkins and Bob Dylan. Wow. A whole bunch of folk icons. Nick Cave, you will remember, we saw at uh, Madison Square Garden. There you go. And I don't remember that too well, except I know you put it in the book you gave me. Yeah. Uh, And I've been playing occasionally since a long layoff ended with a 2009 sold-out reunion show at Detroit's St. Andrew's Hall. Their band's, quote, interests are listed as the following on Facebook. Great. Putting things on layaway. Fantastic. Pride in one's hygiene. (laughs) Swanson turkey dinners. Of course. Finding hope in the bottom of a bottle. Okay. Vacationing along the Detroit River. (laughs) Sitting at the bar whining about cheating hearts. and, And warm bubble baths. Wowzers. The turkey dinner thing is funny because I'm wondering if it's a call to David Swanson, the photographer and occasional Whirlwind Heat member, I believe he's in Whirlwind oh, Heat. okay. Yeah, it it's odd to me because Jack White did a shout out to Swanson Turkey Dinners. I think it was Swanson Turkey Dinners. It was something like that in the liner notes of White Blood Cells. Really? Huh. Frozen Swanson was thanked. Interesting. Again, wow. I don't know if it's a call to David Swanson or to these turkey dinners, but... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's more than likely a call to somebody else, James. <laughs> oh, are you talking about famed turkey entrepreneur Carl Butterball <laughs> of the Butterball Turkey Empire? No, we don't put out... Swanson turkey dinners. <laughs> we only put out the finest butterball turkey dinners. I, w- I wasn't sure you were going to follow up put out with anything, so I'm happy that happened. <laughs> we take our turkeys and we flash freeze them, feathers and all, 
and we make sure that they lined up in your frozen food section as whole live turkeys. <laughs> the, the heads and all, huh? You really got the, the feet on there and stuff? The feet are some of the juiciest parts of the turkey. <laughs> I feel like that's not true, Carl. Carl, I think you're a liar. I am the turkey magnate here, Paul. <laughs> Butter Paul. Ah, why is it taking us so long to get there? I don't know. Anyway, uh, well, um, thank you, Carl. So that'll be for our next uh, annoying as hell. In fact, is I'm sorry, I brought Carl <laughs> Butterball back. Anyway, uh, so let's get to Jack's involvement in the band. Uh, toward the end of the band's original run, Jack White was brought on as a drummer. This was in the period before White started the Stripes, and he performed under his birth name of John Gillis. His P nickname was Doc, so he settled into that Doc role. He played on their final album and his first album release, The Jet Age of Genius, which was released on January 24th, 1995. ties back to our um, discussion in the Flat Duo Jets episode where we talked about, hey, when did he see the Duo Jets? And we said it's probably the 94, 96. Well, if we know he was still playing drums in 95, then odds are it was probably 96 when he saw the Duo Jets. Yeah. So this is, again, via the unauthorized biography. Jack joined the band at age 19 in 1994. By that time, the band had been playing for five years or so and had already released an album. Their biggest claim to fame was supporting Bob Dylan at the Fox Theater in 1992. He goes on to quote Miller, We knew we'd be touring a lot, so we wanted someone whose personality we liked, too. Jack was a lot younger than we were. He wasn't the most technical drummer, thankfully. I do remember the first show when he played drums. For an encore, he came up and sang some Elvis song. People were shocked by his passion for it. <laughs> uh, this is via Troy Gregory. Nice kid. He was kind of quiet. He came to the studio with them just to hang out one day and brought his pet rat. Kind of uh, weird. Of course he did. Yeah. I knew he had one at, at one point, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's a real weird thing to bring into a studio, Jack. His drumming is unobtrusively skillful, nothing like his guitar. It was the last time he would blend in with a band. This is that biographer talking. Even then, he chafed at its democracy. Quote, he'd want to change songs night to night, even as the drummer, Miller recalled. Wow. I mean, he's already got frontman in mind, I guess. Yeah, at 19, he's already telling this other band who had put records out not only what to do, but to warp to his, like, ways of, no, no, we shouldn't have set lists. Don't do that. 
<laughs> I mean, good, good oh. for him. He's uh, he's got some ideas, and and he's not afraid to to tell people. Yes, yes, indeed. Goober and the Peas dissolved shortly after that in 1996, though has since played sporadic shows here and there. Not long after that, in September of 96, John Gillis became Jack White when he married Meg on September 21st. So, Goober and the Peas goes away. Jack marries Meg. The seeds are planted because later we know later in 1997 is when the White Stripes would get together. Mm. So it it all happened in rapid succession. And he's still a very young man at this point. So we're going to fast forward a little bit and we're going to talk a little bit about the dead weather. James, you really covered most of this dead weather stuff. If people want to listen to our episode where we did the Whorehound album analysis and review, you really kind of covered how that came to be. Yeah, he had a couple of mishaps on stage combined with bronchitis, which allowed him to put his opening acts singer, uh, Allison Mossart of the Kills, on stage with the and Tours, and he would take a backseat. Uh, he liked how she sang, so they formed a band, and he still had bronchitis, when they decided to record their first single. And so he decided to sit and play the drums because he had a slip disc, so he could actually sit. Um, right. And he had the bronchitis, so he didn't have to sing. So basically, it was kind of happenstance that he was back there, although he, he would later say that he you know, kind of prefers it back there anyway. Right, right. And I mean, uh, to add to the happenstance, he had just so happened to build this drum kit because he was planning on doing shows with Alicia Keys to support Another Way to Die. So he had already built this kit and I guess was looking for something to go do with it. So all of these things culminated in the Dead Weathers formation. drum kit was low mm-hmm. and uh, it, it let him press and lead from the back yeah um, so he could still lead the band but do so from the drummer's seat and his initial and this is via again via that unauthorized biography but his initial instinct for the dead weather's touring uh was for drum solos to replace guitar solos which he stuck to a bit at the beginning but by the time sea of cowards tour rolled around he had really settled down on and guitar started popping back in there yeah i mean if i feel like that was the natural evolution of the band because, you know, it wasn't a Jack White band at that point. And I think he knew right. that. And I think he was realized that, you know, let the other band members kind of shine. Yes. It was, it's more of an Alice and Mossart band, I'd argue, than a Jack White band. I agree completely. Although there's, it's funny when you listen to the Kills music and you listen to Dead Weather music, boy, do you hear what Jack is not only adding to it, but altering about yeah. how she approaches a song. Agreed. Um, which will... Which we'll get to, because I'm about to talk about the time I saw the kills. Later in the show. <laughs> uh, th- this project, I think it's fair to say, is the one that made the majority of fans aware of his drumming ability. And those not versed in Jack Lore got schooled pretty quickly about his skills behind the kit. Mm-hmm. And he's great back there. 
He's really good. Uh, yeah. we're, we're gonna play some selections of some of our favorite dead weather like drum fills and stuff here. As you can hear, a versatile drummer. Right. And again, this isn't a Dead Weather show, but they, they do play a role in it. So that's why I wanted to sort of mention that, like, hey, like, that is a big part of his drumming sort of history, mm-hmm. is the Dead Weather. And his Dead Weather drumming style, well, his drumming style in general is is very uniquely his, too. You could really, you could tell uh, whether it's him or later in, in his solo act, you know, whether it's Daru or whether it's him. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's hard to tell, actually. And I, I found myself sometimes thinking it wasn't him. I, I think he and Daru share some similarities, but I guess it would be fair to say his drumming, it's its almost like a tight sloppiness. I know that's a contradiction, but like there's a sort of, there's a funk about it mm-hmm. that he that is also abrupt a lot like you know sometimes his guitars uh solos can be described as like orgasmic or like sneezes or like something you know Mm -hmm. like this weird sort of howl but with a screeching halt to it he kind of plays drums the same way Mm. but that's great just because we're actually going to talk a little bit about jack's drumming technique oh great The most we got from Jack in terms of learning about his technique as a drummer was from a 2015 instructional video, which he stars in to promote the release of the Dead Weather's third album, Dodge and Burn. Mm-hmm. Which we've played clips of many a time on this show, if, you, if you're a listener. <laughs> yes, we have. Hitting the boom booms, making the skrilla. This was part of a series of videos the band released online as a way of touring the album without actually having to tour the album. It was kind of an interesting approach. Uh, which I would have appreciated a whole lot more if we had also had a tour. But mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, he gives the reasons for, for that not being so because everybody was super busy with other projects and bands. Uh, and he was fatigued from his tour. So I'll give him a pass. <laughs> yeah, I think he gets a pass there. Uh, the video is 10 minutes long and Jack is funny as hell in it. Um, he also directed it and Olivia Jean is credited with hair and makeup. Um, <laughs> J- Josh, Josh Smith did the audio mixing. Some highlights from the video, we'll sort of play a few, but we're also, we'll also talk about it here. Uh, Hang You Up from the Heavens, he talks a little bit about that. The hi-hat opening and closing. He added an extra hi-hat to add a stylistic difference. He talks about like how when he was younger he would have played it more simple, but... He likes to add the little flares now to add a little bit more stylistic differentiation from his other, from like, say, the, the white stripes or something like that. Yeah, it makes the sound a little bigger, too, you know, or more full, I should say. Yeah, so Hang Me From The Heavens, this beat uh, started off with a, a hi-hat opening and closing thing, and it, but it sort of has an extra hi-hat hit in there, so it's... I think when I was younger, I might have just gone. It's the. 
makes it. Well, we're gonna try something with this track where it ends up in the same spot as that beat. So instead of... There's some noodling going on in there, but it, it it makes sense with the theory of him trying to use drum solos as guitar solos because his drumming is very... It has a lot of fills. There's a lot of extra stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So, if, for example, if the bass is doing something simple, the drums go along with that. He constructed his kit with the Dead Weather play, as we talked about with Alicia Keys, and he designed the kit alongside Ludwig, who built it for him. Ludwig is a f- famous uh, drum manufacturer. They, you know, they very famously did Ringo's kits and the Beatles and stuff. Mm. Um, so, ring the Beatle bell. I'd like to be. It's got a 16-inch wide snare drum. Most inch, uh, most are 14 inches wide. There's a 16-inch floor tom, a 16-inch wide rack tom, and he added a high-pitched marching band-style drum to do a little, like, sort of like some little flares soloing yeah. on. Since this is such a low snare, over here I made a marching band drum, really high-pitched. Yeah, it's weird um, too because they're, they're all flat. So, unlike your traditional drum kit, everything's level. It's cool. I, I actually did a little research on some for, like drumming forums mm-hmm. and of people who had seen this and wanted to comment on it. And most people said like, "Yeah, it would save you a lot of time having to reach around and stuff, like reach up and down and whatnot." Um, so it seemed to me that it made sense, but it also requires a lot of reaching to the sides, which you would normally get in a stacked manner. Yeah, he looks less like uh, the guy from Rush and more like a guy playing steel guitar, just, you know, going from yes. thing to drum to drum. And I like everything completely flat. All of these drums, I like them at the exact same level, so there's no rack, Tom, you know, angle, blocking everything. It's nice and flat. Like Ringo used to have in the, in the Beatles, they'd have a really tiny kit so that the crowd could see him. All the screaming girls could see Ringo. So I like that idea, and I like these really old-fashioned skinny stands. Instead of those giant monstrosities of metal they put around people's drum kits, these little skinny ones are so nice and just more elegant, and it lets the, the symbols sort of become little statues there were three floor toms on the left three drums on each side obviously that's a jack hallmark uh those are deeper there's a 14 inch jazz floor tom uh the ones on the left are deeper and the kick drum is 26 inches wide he wanted them to go 30 inches but it was too big and loose for the studio and for live playing the bass drum has dracula's three brides on it obviously three being a thing with him but I don't know why Dracula, other than, I don't know, spooky weirdness for the dead weather. Yeah, he also likes those classic Hollywood movies, you know, Third Man and Citizen Kane and all those. I'm sure he's a right. Boris Karloff fan and all that. So, Yeah, and we have got Dracula's Three Brides up front here. He has a 26-inch wide jazz cymbal, which has a huge gong-like sound. And he also has a splash cymbal from a 1930s trap kit. So that's that, like, boom that mm-hmm. thing uh, but in the right place he says it can be cool so when he's like when he's really hitting the toms and stuff he can also hit a small symbol in there that doesn't have a long decay it has a very very short rapid decay yeah which adds to that fullness like I was saying before 
Right. Uh, this is via Rolling Stone talking about it. The clip closes with a full band performance of Hang You Up from the Heavens, featuring an alternate drum beat white previewed early in the video. We played some of that at the top of the show. Let's play a little bit of that right now. James, you know, when you're playing the drums, uh, there's many different things you can hit them with. Um, well, you're right, Paul. And, I mean, one of those things is, you know, people usually use sticks. Uh, people use assorted uh, metal in, metal implements. These sticks could be made yeah. of metal. They can be made of yeah. wood. Metal. Uh, in some yeah, cases, wood, they can be made of, of, in older, um, older homes, they can um, be made of ivory, perhaps. Oh, ivory. Yes, ivory uh, is what is that? A type ivory is a, a type of, of uh, type of bone, Paul. It's a type it's of a bone. Yeah, a rag and bone. Rag and bone. That was our best yet. <laughs> oh, James, first of all, tell the people what rag and bone is. Okay. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Rag and Bone is the segment of the show in which we we do a terrible introduction to it. But um, Rag and Bone is when we find uh, weird and strange or otherwise odd facts while we're researching, and uh, we we don't really have have, a, have an explanation or a place for them in the in the Jack White universe yeah. or the the show at large. So we put them in a little little box that we like to call Rag and Bone, where we can put all of our weird little strange unusual trinkets and facts. Yeah, and so this rag, uh, this rag and bone comes courtesy of me trying to look up Jack White's other drumming appearances. So I started to see a lot of real weird credits mm-hmm. when I was looking him up, and I was like, man, I don't think Jack White played with Rick Springfield. <laughs> right, yeah, that makes sense. But they were coming from, like, usually really reliable sources, like Discogs and... Um, so I was like, what's happening here? So there's another Jack White. Oh. Who's a drummer. Oh. And this guy, first of all, stop what you're doing. Look up YouTube clips of this guy playing drums. He wears a bandana. When you said that, Skype stopped what it was doing. <laughs> um, he wears a bandana. He always smiles at the camera. Okay. And he's adorable, and I love him very much. Okay, I'm going to look him up. Jack White. Just drummer. Rick Springfield. For Rick Springfield. It auto-filled Jack White drummer for Rick Springfield. Hold on. Yeah. Oh, look at this guy. Oh, look at that smile. Oh, he wears little wristbands, and he's got a little mullet. Dude, this guy played on Jesse's Girl. Uh, the Jesse's Girl? Yes. Like, that, he didn't, like, actually play drums on the girl Jesse, but, like, the song Jesse's Girl. He's, he's done a lot. 
And he's so often mistaken for Jack White, like the Jack White. Oh, he had a rough, he had a rough time getting that name. Like, I feel like Jack White, at our <laughs> uh, John Gillis, had an uphill battle to get be- like more recognizable than Jack White drummer for Rick Springfield. But I think Jack I White drummer for Rick Springfield is kind of slacking on his game right now because I had no idea he existed. Right. I mean, it would be as if, like, your name, it's the 19, it's like the 1900s or the 1890s, and your name is Albert Einstein, and you're, like, pretty good at physics. I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. Just real quick, not to belabor this point, but he uh, he played with Rick Springfield a whole bunch. David Cassidy? Oh, my God, yeah. Eddie Money? Uh, Tina Turner, apparently. Dick Wagner, player. Bill LaBounty. Gary Murick, Steve Hunter, who, we know, who I know, Katie Seagal, and uh, Redbone, and Vicky Watson. Uh, holy crap, that's been a Look at all this. All right. So lastly here, we're just going to go through Jack White's various drumming appearances throughout the years. Obviously, we talked about Goober and the Peas. We talked about Another Way to Die single, and we talked about his various dead weather material. So there's all of that. But this is the other stuff. Okay. The first one after that I could find was the Smoke Fairies uh, uh, single, Blue Series single, Gastown and River Song. Oh, nice. Which we've talked about more on the show earlier. I love the Smoke Fairies. Their album's great. Their self-titled album's great. You should all go out and listen to them. But this story of how they met Jack is really interesting. This is via Clash Music. In life, you have to grab any opportunity that comes your way. Raucous duo Smoke Fairies, they are not very raucous, <laughs> knew this when they happened to spot Jack White was drinking in the same Hoxton bar as they were. Still coasting from the release of their Frozen Heart EP earlier in the year, they sidled up to Jack White and the pair left a CD together with a fresh whiskey for the Nashville-based musician. Hmm. Impressed, Jack White invited Smoke Fairies to support the dead weather at their first ever London show. The guitarist even took the time to introduce the band on stage to fans and later spoke to the duo about a possible single, and that's Hmm. when this came about. This is via Teen Vogue. Jessica and Cass' big break came in the summer of 2008 when a rumor spread that the White Stripes frontman Jack White was in town. The pair, armed with copies of their single, went straight to the bar where he was expected. Quote, he actually showed up. We couldn't believe it, Cap says. Quote, so we just cornered him, bought him a whiskey, and had the DJ play Living With Ghosts, which was on their help. <laughs> their EP. Uh, that's something that I've always gone to places expecting people to show up, waited forever, they never show up. Like, I'm amazed that he, he would actually be showed up at a place he was expected. Yeah, it was just a stroke of good luck. White liked what he heard. He contacted the girls about recording some tracks down in Nashville for his third man records label, which they did this past fall. Quote, one night we were in the studio after midnight and Jack came in with his band and they picked up instruments and started to play along, Calf says. It was one of those truly brilliant moments. Wow.
so that's kind of also what happened with Olivia Jean, mm-hmm. as we talked about in episode way back in episode five. That's how Olivia met Jack was handing him a mixtape, basically or a CD. Yeah, well, wasn't hers a little different in that he just found like they like it found its way into his hands, whereas these people gave the CD to Jack. They actually encountered him. Oh, okay. I think Olivia Jean went through his people. Right. Like like Margot did, um, but was forgotten. Right. Uh, the next one I found was Rachel Garnierez's My House of Peace from 2009, which I keep seeing in a dollar bin at Amoeba and keep not buying. Whoopsie doodle. <laughs> Should probably buy that. Evidently, plays drums on it. Huh. After that, we have Karen Elson's The Ghost Who Walks LP from 2010. Mm-hmm. He plays drums on every track except Stolen Roses, The Birds They Circle, and The Last Laugh. Also, he plays on the Truth is in the Dirt single B-side season of The Witch, which Mm -hmm. is a Donovan cover, which we've played on the show before. After that, uh, he played on the Thornbills single Uncle Andre in 2010, the Becky and John single I'll Be There If You Ever Want in 2011. That's um, John C. Riley. Mm-hmm. He played on Chris Thiele and Michael Dave's Man in the Middle single from 2011. Hmm. Oh, yeah. So this is, all right, so I'm going to just call my own smell a fact here. Um, you know what? Let James, I think I smell a fact. Oh, oh. I think I smell a fact. The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact, the most astounding fact is the knowledge. I think I blew out my mic there. Uh, it's okay. Uh, and this this fact is just for me. You know, this is just a little yeah. tidbit for me. So I bought this thing called the Ravon Buddy Holly Tribute Compilation back in 2011. Okay. Because Paul McCartney's on right. it. And so... I bought the whole thing, so I was like, oh, yeah, so other bands I like on here. There's, like, She and Him was on it. CeeLo Green does a song, Modest Mouse, Ditch Black Keys, Fiona Apple, Florence and the Machine. So I remembered this thing. Mm-hmm. Dude, Karen Elson was on that. Really? And Jack White played drums on it. She did Crying, Waiting, Hoping. Huh. And I had this... And I knew the song. I knew the version. And I had no idea it was Karen Elson. And I had no idea Jack White was on it. And to my knowledge, this is the only time Jack White and Paul McCartney appear on an album together. Hmm. Even tangentially. It just goes to show you, like, I was into Jack White. I was pretty into Jack White then, but I was pretty ignorant to his history and personal life and all that mm-hmm. stuff because it just never registered. Karen Nelson just never just flew right over my head. And I heard the damn song. <laughs> so. Wow. Really, really well, weird. Well, Paul, that's a so really that's, great, that was my own. great fact you just smelled. When I reflect on that fact. Thank you, James. Smelled great. We got a couple more here. Karen Elson's Vicious B-Side, uh, the song In Trouble with the Lord, 2011. John and Tom, another John C. Riley thing, Gonna Lay Down My Old Guitar from 2011. Mm-hmm. 
We have, uh, he played drums on the Black Milk single Brain on the song Royal Mega, which I think I actually attributed to Daru on our uh, Going Solo show. So, what <laughs> Daru plays on the A side, not the B side. C6 Steve, the song Write Me a Few Lines from 2011. Uh, he plays drums on the Blunderbuss album on the song On and On and On. Yes, that's the, the only song on that album that he plays drums on. That's kind of weird. Uh, Dwayne the Teenage Weirdos, Postcard from Hell from 2012. He plays drums on the Beck song, I Just Started Hating Some People Today from 2012. Mm -hmm. He plays drums on the B-side of that Tempest Storm burlesque dancer interview. And uh, no drums on Lazaretto, but he is credited with percussion work on Alone in My Home and that Black Bat Licorice. Well, if we want to credit percussion work, we can credit some stuff in the stripes, too. I mean... True. He's also been on those. So, James, that's been our discussion of drumming here, and we're going to kick it to our third man for this hey, week. let's kick it to our third man. We'd like to welcome this week our third man, <laughs> Andrew Dan Marino the fourth. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. Welcome. Welcome. welcome, welcome. Hey, guys. We really nailed it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, We're that's good. good. <laughs> um, definitely, uh, definitely, all those names are in my name. For those of you out there who are noticing a change in my voice between a few seconds ago and now, within recording bits, I got real sick real quick. So yeah, sorry. Yeah. Speaking of real sick, uh, you may remember Andrew from our Smash Mouth episode. So sorry about that. You're welcome. Sick. I'm gonna say you're. I'm gonna say you're welcome. Nasty. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit today. This is a segment of the show we call Fell in Love with a Show. And that highlights whenever James or I see a Jack White or Jack White adjacent act live. We talk about it here. And Andrew, you and I saw The Kills recently for a 15th anniversary show of theirs in Anaheim at the House of Blues. Yeah, we, we hopped out of work and drove our down... Yeah, it was about an hour. Yeah, yeah drove an hour. Down. We we told our boss we were like we're out. Yeah, got down there real fast. We're both we really down. sick. Yeah, we must leave. <laughs> we just got super sick. Yeah, at the exact same time, we have yeah. to go. It's yeah. from uh, all of those drinks you were sharing constantly for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So we we got down to the show. It was great. It was a really nice venue. Moss heart disease is the number one killer amongst Caucasian men ages twenty five to thirty. <laughs> <laughs> 31, sorry. And we went to go see The Kills, and it was a lovely show. It was my second time seeing them, and I guess my fourth time seeing Allison. Uh, for those of you who don't know, and I can't understand why you wouldn't if you're listening to this show, but Allison Mossard, of course, known for her work with Jack in the Dead Weather, and she comes from a band that she does with her partner, Jamie Hintz with her partner Jamie Hintz called The Kills and they are a group that had opened for the Dead Weather a couple times and uh, one of which Jack formed a a bond with we'll sort of get into their friendship at a, at a later episode but uh, so this was The Kills and they, they're still touring their Ash and Ice album this is the second time I saw that tour I saw it uh, last year earlier 
and it was also in conjunction with their 15th anniversary as a band. Now, Andrew, this is your first time seeing The Kills uh, or Alison Mosshart. Do you have any impressions of the show? Yeah, I mean, it was even one of my first times really fully listening to them, too. You popped your sour cherry. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> gross, gross, Yeah, gross. It was really rad. I'd only known what to expect mostly from things you had told me yeah. in seeing them or uh, seeing Allison at uh, Dead Weather shows. So I kind of went in pretty cold and left going like, these dudes are rad. Yeah. They were super cool. She was had just like a hard rock vibe, which was really cool to see. Her voice was super good live. And she had just great stage presence. Yeah, she moves around a lot. She does a lot of kind of Robert Plant-esque you know gyrations yeah gyrations she's yeah bending backwards and but the cool thing is like she could own that stage all night if she wanted to but she really kind of gives it up at times to Jamie to just do yeah his thing too and it's really nice sort of like duality between the two of them sharing that they really kind of made at least me feel like no they're like a a duo and they love playing together and they're just like best friends it's really nice to see each other and I don't know if it's just the 15 years or if it's always been hunky-dory for them but I definitely got that vibe the group that opened for them is called Dream Wife who I uh, mistakenly without thinking tweeted about uh, enraging <laughs> my actual wife temporarily so that's a thing that happened but they're, they're pretty good you know I they're kind of uh, they're this British punk trio they had a nice sound I actually went and bought their EP after the show and it's much much softer they put on a really hard show when we saw them it was a very soft it, sound on the uh, on the EP itself yeah it seemed like they were trying to just match the kills vibe because yeah. I, I like Paul I checked out some of their stuff afterwards and it was like oh they were just trying to play to what the kills were going to do later on <laughs>
shows that had similar opening bands that were trying to match the actual act, uh, even though their their normal sound is is nothing like that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes acts try and find like sounding bands. In this case, I feel like their live set just might be kind of different approach, but they were good. You know, they they were they're definitely worth a listen. We'll play a little of them here. As you can hear, that's kind of um, it's got a little bit of surf rock on it. It's got a little bit of like late seventies punk on it. Um, they were very nineties experienced. They were all dressed in nineties style attire, nineties sportswear. Yeah, nineties sportswear mm. primarily. Fila was a big uh, yeah. yeah. It was like, uh, yeah. Cr- crystal light singers that that kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a real sort of like Fanta commercial. Okay, yeah, there was great. like chokers and like a, a red velvet dress with like a choker and a short haircut. Like she, they looked yeah. like they walked out of a '90s music video. Yeah, um, lots of slap bracelets, just yeah, all over their like bodies. I, this is not entirely a joke. It was like they walked out of um, the set of Buffy. Sure. Ah, yes, actually, right. yeah, that's it. Yeah, yep, it, that's they, it. it was like, oh, I think I've seen this band on Buffy. Right, right. playing <laughs> at a playing at, at that, that like. Club that one place, I yeah, <laughs> yeah. I forget the club, the name, the club name, and that's gonna really bother me. But it's fun. A lot of '90s hallmarks. They covered the Spice Girls briefly. Yeah, pretty good show. A, and a couple was aggressively making out in front of Andrew for that, and during the Kills show. And uh, Andrew was made very uncomfortable by that. I so g- that was real weird. Yeah, I gotta be honest. Look, if you're going to a show, I understand that you want to feel the moment and you want to like roll deep. I get it. But like, here's my thing. <laughs> We're all really close together, and I'm not going to join you. As much as you potentially want someone to join you, I'm not going to, and I would prefer you go somewhere else. Or go to the Wings. Like, I know you're paying attention to the show. They were super into the show. They yeah. were, like, really excited when they were playing. Yeah. Yeah. But there were just times where I was like, what is happening? There's something about Allison's music, I think, because as I've talked about to many people, the only time I ever made out with a complete stranger was at a dead weather show. <laughs> um, so there's uh, there's something about it, you know, and, uh, you know, being a, a three dudes sitting around talking about this, I feel just really comfortable <laughs> going through it. This is a safe space. <laughs> there is a sexual quality to Allison's music, which I don't, yeah. I think is undeniable and, and we're not actually reading into that. Yeah, I mean, as, like, I said earlier, I was somebody who had never seen The Kills before. I will echo the statement that there is definitely a sexuality to their presence on stage, both of them, yeah. Jamie and Allison. Yeah, the male-female dichotomy, you know, it's all in there. Yeah, right. it's a real um, her- heteronormative band. Yeah. yeah. Though I've seen The Kills before without Paul, at the Dead Weather show, I was with Paul, and I can assure you, no sexual tension. I was stoic <laughs> and in charge. Yes. Nothing. Um, wait. wait. When did you see The Kills, James? I saw The Kills in 2014. They were touring, even though their last album was in 2011 at that point, Blood Pressures. They were working on their next album, which was Ash and Ice, but they were just touring. So I guess they were just trying to keep in the mind's eye of most people. But uh, I saw them in Philly at the TLA, and it was a great show. I saw it with Ariel. Lots of sexual tension, just lots of it. Just so... uh, (laughs) 
but uh, yeah, no, it was a good show. You could definitely tell the the fans who were there because of Jack White, because I saw lots of Raconteurs shirts, lots of yeah. Dead short shirts. There was a there was a lot of Third Man shirts at ours too, and yeah. mine was one of them. I was yeah, yeah I was wearing my Vault shirt happy. at mine, and uh, you know, this was the tour that Allison went blonde for, like, or at least yeah. around this time was when Allison went blonde. It was around that time. And uh, so I was taken aback. I was like, oh, my God, she's a blonde now. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then soon after, they would put out Dodge and Burn, which she was a blonde on that cover, which I think, yeah, Paul, you hadn't seen her until Dodge and Burn era, right? We saw her on the Dead Weather's first tour in 2009 where she had the black hair. And then I saw her again in 2010 at the Rams Head Live in Maryland with the Sea of Cowards tour. And then I didn't see her again until 2016 on the uh, Ash and Ice tour the first time. So, yeah, it had been a while since I saw her. Yeah, sorry. My, my brain was, was gone uh, haywire because of the sickness. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, they did a great show. Uh, yeah. They played mostly Ash and I stuff, although they did do a couple really early songs. They pointed out that they hadn't played in a very long time for the 15th anniversary commemoration, yeah. uh, which I would have appreciated more had I been more versed in their catalog. Yeah, if you had done mm. the deep dive. Because I know their stuff, but honestly, like I think James and I, you were talking about, I mean, I think Ash and Ice is probably their best effort, in, in my opinion. I think it's their strongest effort, in my, and again, yeah. in my opinion. So yeah. it was one of the things, actually, Andrew and I were talking about this on the way up or back to the show. I mean, that was the that was really the album that sold me on it, and it's partially due to the Jack drought, just because there's no new jack material so i've been clinging to whatever is sort of left out there and you know we're all fortunate that the allison mossart stuff is really good as well as being jack adjacent I mean, I I agree with you about uh, Ash Nice being their strongest effort. I, I really like Midnight Boom. I think that's my second favorite. Which has Sour Cherry and a whole bunch of other songs on it that I really dig. So uh, I tend to think some of their music can be very melodically or repetitive, I guess. Yeah. Um, not that it's a bad thing, but Ash and Ice definitely kind of breaks from that mold a little bit more. Um, I think. Yes. Yeah. I think because of her outside influences. I agree. And it, it, uh, her songwriting game has gotten a lot tighter, too. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of great tracks on that album. Heart of a Dog, Whirling Eye are, are two others that come to mind, aside from Doing It to Death, with, which is just just so good. I just uh, put on the video here. It's <laughs> dope as hell. I love this thing. <laughs> One thing I really loved at the show, though, for sure, was... I forget what song they were playing, but it was a moment where Jamie laid down on the stage floor. Yeah, it was a real slow song. They laid down yeah. together on the stage. That was a good moment. Was it? But they kind of, their backs were to us, too. Like, yeah. they were leaning against one of the monitors on stage and just playing, and it was... Like, and they... Like, Allison just put her head on his shoulder, I think, and it was just, like, an intimate moment, it seemed. Yeah. And it was just awesome. It was just such a cool kind of, like, hmm. thing. Yeah, that was a great moment. Yeah. They just laid there together and played the rest of the song lying on their backs, staring up at the ceiling. Yeah. Was it 
the last goodbye by any chance? There, maybe, there's two, maybe. There's two really like sweet kind of slower songs uh, that I can think of that would at least fit mm-hmm. with that. And the last goodbye is one, and uh, Black Balloon would be another one. But I feel like Black Balloon isn't as touching. Yeah, the last goodbye sounds right. Um, yeah, but it was great. It was it was just a really nice moment. And also, Jamie played guitar by putting the mic stand as in using it as a slide <laughs> at one point, which was yeah. pretty cool. He like didn't take out his actual like finger slide. He used the mic stand, and that was just bananas. That was like <laughs> super cool. Because I had never seen anybody do that before or heard about anybody doing that. It sounds like something Tom Morello would do. Yeah, yeah, or, like, I mean, or Jimmy Page or somebody yeah. like that. I think they take a lot of cues from the Zeppelins of the world. Yeah, stuff, but, but it was it, that was cool to see. And then he just, like, threw the mic stand back and pulled out the slide. Yeah. And started using it, and then eventually just threw the slide somewhere, too. Like, he was just going crazy yeah, at that point. Yeah, he was going crazy. <laughs> so normally, the Kills are a two-piece band, but when I saw them, they had a backing band. Is, did yeah. they have that for you, too? Yes, they did. Yeah. Yeah, they, there was a guy on drums, and there was a, a like guy a, on, like... Like a synth. DJ. Yeah, or yeah. He, DJ, because he was queuing up stuff, but I, it could also have been synthesizers, because obviously they have a lot of sort of intricate beats, like in... Um, he was also playing bass, I think, or something. A, a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah, like he was... <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was a, a multifaceted individual. Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, uh, fully functional. Yeah, right. he, he walked out at the beginning of the show was like, here's my resume. Yeah. Uh, I want to tell you that I'm a team player, yeah. that I will not take center stage at any point, but I will continually back up everyone. Right. My, uh, my, worst, <laughs> my worst quality is that I work too hard. Yeah. yeah. And my best quality is that... My best quality is that I work too hard. <laughs> they also had a big drum out for Allison to play on and yeah. a small keyboard for her to play on as well. So she was playing several different instruments during the show, which was which was really cool. Yeah, you know, it was my second time seeing I was about the same distance away both times and it was just a really great experience and just to talk very briefly about the venue, the House of Blues in Anaheim was great. It was a nice big venue, it reminded me a lot of Terminal 5. Mhm. In New York, James, I mean, you remember Terminal 5. Oh, yeah. Uh, we saw... Kind of a wide open space. We, we saw, saw like Wolf three Mark. or four shows there, yeah. Um, yeah, Jack stuff. We saw New new Number 2, Wolf Mother. Yeah. Did it have a balcony, like? Yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. It's kind of what reminded me of it, to be honest. And you could pay to get into like this VIP section, which was basically just sitting up there with a table, which is kind of pointless, because if you're at a kill show, like you kind of want to just rock and roll for a little while you know but yeah it was a great show i uh, would definitely see them again would recommend anybody else see them again and it's the second time andrew and i saw a third man related act andrew was there on our last fell in love with the show segment which is when i saw margo price at the troubadour last year yeah oh nice um, what do you think of her andrew i thought she was rad like she was super cool and i'm not a big country uh music guy but she was super bluesy and and just singing about singing about like real shit which was kind of nice. Yeah, I, I've been listening to her stuff since. Nice. Yeah. It's two bands that Paul has pretty handedly introduced me to, and I uh, I have enjoyed them. Yeah. yeah. The next one up is on Andrews. We'll see another show. We did see the Bare Naked Ladies together uh, last summer, and that was a magical experience. That was a real that was a real dream dream boat. I love the Bare Naked Ladies. Nice. Love them. Yeah, they're great. Sadly, the only song I can think of is One Week. I apologize. <laughs> hey, 
No, that's okay. We can talk about Fallen for the first time. We can talk about the apart, the old apartment. Uh, oh yeah, I could I could rattle them all off for you, James. But you know that's it, that's not a third man adjacent <laughs> thing. So I don't I don't want to hijack your show. Oh, we could find connections. I'm sure. <laughs> On that note, thank you, Andrew, for joining us. This has been great. And is there is there anything you want to uh, want to plug while you're here? Anything you want to? I feel like I did a pretty solid plug last time for Smash Mouth, and we just hit a pretty <laughs> solid, solid plug just now for Bare Naked Ladies. If you don't listen to them, you guys are crazy. They're fun Canadians. Well, you listen to tons of good music. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, some recommendations. What we do you can talk about? Some, some good stuff. I mean, obviously the new Gorillaz album that's coming out. Oh yeah, Humans at the end of April. Humans is going to be pretty cool, I think. The four tracks they dropped were, were really good. I've been listening to them for like a week now. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, what else? I think... Uh, you that, introduced me to Bad, Bad, Not Good and yeah. Vince Staples and Anderson Park. Yeah, and Chance the Rapper. Chance the Rapper. Uh, little Childish Gambino in there. I got a real hip-hop spin, Yeah, Andrew's I would say. Good yeah. stuff. I can, I can show you guys some fun, <laughs> some fun things. It's real sexual tension in this room all the time. (laughs) Thank you, Andrew, for joining us, and we will uh, we'll get back to the show now. All right, thanks, Andrew. See ya. James, this has been a lovely episode. Uh, thank you for coming back, everybody, to the show, despite our nonsense last episode. Yeah, I hope we um, we put some. Uh, we I hope we put a. I hope we dr- drum drum pun. It's, it's a drum pun. I was yeah. gonna make a drum. I hope we drum pun. <laughs> I hope we drummed up some support out there from. People. There we go. <laughs> this show can't be beat. <laughs> I just want to say our Twitter and our Facebook have been really popping off lately. Just hundreds of new people. Really, really cool stuff. A lot of people talking to us on there. We're going to do an all Twitter edition of new shout outs. I'm just going to go through these here real quick. We have Tubby, Uh who's at M-O-U-W-I-N-H-O underscore. So Mo Wino, I guess. So thank you, Tubby. We have Greg Hancock or at Gerg M-H. Crash LaResh from the Flat Duo Jets has been talking to us. (laughs) So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I'm Crash. sorry I, awesome. I put Bandicoot after your name at one point in the episode there. I, I meant no disrespect, and we love you. <laughs> and, I, and I'm also sorry the first new episode you listened to was very likely our Smash Mouth Spectacular. Uh, I'd also like to thank Kenneth W. Kinzer. Deborah King and Darren Combs, uh, you guys have been great, and it's just been really great meeting a whole bunch of new people on Twitter there. And along with all those new people, we have our our standards, uh, people who are with us day in, day out, who talk with us and post on the Facebook and on the Twitter, so uh, we'd like to thank uh, Jeremy Riles, keeping us on the rails, Jeremy Riles. Callie Durga, thank you, Callie, you're great. fact-checking all over the map. We have Adrian King, the punk rock queen, Adrian King. We have Andre Lyman. Yeah, thank you. Um, I don't think we ever came up with a good one there, but Andre Ice Cold Lyman. <laughs> uh, thank you to Eileen Corsado. Thank you very much. We we see you there, and, and James, I uh, I think I, yeah, I, I we have a very special guest. Yeah, I uh, I heard from the North Pole uh, the other day, and it, oh, <laughs> oh, it's belligerent Santa. Yes, we'd also like to thank David Poe, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Po, po, po. We went 
into a bidding war on the Third Man Records Collectors Group. And we both lost. Some may say that they... uh, Most people don't want me back. But you specifically requested (laughs) that I come back. I'm going back to the North Pole now. Uh, it was very. It was very good to see you, belligerent Santa. Uh, I would. I would love for you not to be cruel to me this Christmas. That's what I want. Thank you, David Poe. I'm sorry on his behalf. I'm also sorry that we went into a bidding war, but I. I really wanted that record. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of real quick new things. Uh, we're now available on a couple of new podcatchers, Acast, acast.com slash thirdmenpodcast. And we're also up on Spreaker. Uh, you can you could search the Third Men podcast on Spreaker and find us there. We put links up on the Facebook and stuff. But you know, thanks to everybody who's recommending new podcatchers for us to be on. Those are really cool. Mm-hmm. So we got those going yeah. on. And then we also have our standards like Podomatic and, um, and uh, <coughs> iTunes, stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, if you want to chit chat with us or, or uh, tell us anything that we got wrong or smell a fact uh, you can find us all over uh, the internet the interwebs the information superhighway through Facebook you can go to facebook.com slash third men you can find us on Twitter at third men cast you can tumble down with us at, at third men podcast or you can go directly to the source uh, where we post our, our show notes and our episodes the third men.wordpress.com or even more to the source us uh, at our Gmail, thirdmanpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, and you can find us on YouTube as well. James does some visualizers there, which are awesome. Um, we haven't talked, we gotta, we gotta mention, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. James, we have a, uh, we have a contest running. You can find all the details on our Facebook page, but the long and short of it is if you can rate and review us on iTunes and take a screenshot of that rate and review, rating and review, and, and email it to us, uh, we'll put you in the running to win a free copy no no charge whatsoever of the Loretta Lynn Vault DVD. So some of you have done that already. Some of you reached out to us and uh, and have, we've been getting some emails there, so that's great. But yeah, please, uh, we, we haven't hit the 20 yet, so once we hit 20 people, then we cap it. So get get your review in there and we'll get that going for you. Hopefully you can win the Loretta Lynn DVD. Yeah, a great prize, great DVD. And uh, so please keep those reviews coming. Uh, we've been loving hearing from you guys. And we'd like to uh, thank Sam Kubert, Tom Valenti for our theme song, We're the Third Men. And we also like to thank Susanna Roundtree for the intro and outro of our show. And we'd also like to thank our third man for this week, Andrew Marino. Uh, it was great having you on. It was great having you on last week, too. That was awesome. Yes, thank you so much for uh, for your help with with the Smash Mouth one and the real one. Yeah. And James, that's going to do it for uh, us for this week. And until until next Wednesday, I will be looking for I'll a home. I'll be looking for a home. See you next time. Bye. Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time.
Um, oh, the kids and their coitus. They're back. Oh, can you hear it? Yeah. Yeah. Get it. yeah. <laughs> um, I've got the sickness, Paul. I've got down with the sickness. Ooh, uh, no, different band. Yeah. Is that, wait, is that the very same? I don't know. I yeah, no, that is all right. That's a down with the sicknesses. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I get Solid. it. I get it mixed up with corns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not corn. Definitely right. not corn. Uh, maize, maybe. Jack White went down to the crossroads <laughs> and uh, got himself a drum kit from Satan, who instructed him to play it to the wall. <laughs> Um, they're looking not as high as they could be. They're looking. Ah! Hello, 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 my baby. Hello, my honey. I mean, I hear you. How about now? Yeah, that was better. Say something. Better? I think. I found a, an, uh, I was looking up your Instagram the other day because I, I was going to tag you in something. And so I typed in uh, Paul Kaminsky and some other Paul Kaminsky on Instagram popped up and he was an artist and it was hilarious to me because he was also like a male model. And I'm like, no, nah, he's got an uphill battle <laughs> to get out, out to you. <laughs> What the f*** was that? We have to sync the audio, so... Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if it's Katie Seagal, the actress. Because she was uh, Peggy Bundy and uh, Leela from Futurama. Musical musical career. Uh, No way. Yeah. She started her career in show business as a singer and songwriter. No. Yeah. Oh, sh- yeah. She recorded songs for the Son of Anarchy soundtrack. Sons of Anarchy soundtrack. Uh, let's find. Oh, I love this. Yeah, her former spouse Jack White. They divorced in two thousand. What? Jack White, drummer for oh, Rick Springfield. Okay. Jack White. <laughs> this just keeps getting better. I'm gonna ride my, my name in the clouds. I'm gonna free fall out into 